Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Standing there singing, and I was thinking that surround me, Lord, is the truth. You know, it's just probably of anyone in here, I'm as vulnerable in my emotions as anybody. I promise you, I do what I can to keep them in check. But I'm just so glad that when I walk in these doors, I need something that won't change. Because I fight things within myself. There's things that we fight in this world that sends our emotions everywhere. And it doesn't matter what I leave at home, what I leave on the job. If I can just get to here, I know that I'm gonna come in here to something that never changes that's always going to be good, that's always going to strengthen my spirit, that's never going to change, that's not going to be here, and it's going to be here when I come back. It's never going to be different. God ain't going to never change. He's always going to be good when I come into these doors. And that's what I need. I don't need something that I'm going to have to guess what it's going to be like when I get to church. God is true and loving and kind and compassionate all the time, all the time. Even in his judgment, he shows mercy. He does. It's good to see you this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. First thing naturally I want us to do is to pray. For I can't do this alone and neither can you. So we need God's help. We need his strength and his guidance. Those out back, those that are continuing today, they need the help of the Lord. So let's pray and do that right now. God, I love you today. I love and I praise you. And Father, we need your help. Oh God, we need your strength and anointing, Lord God. We thank you for everything you do. God, I praise you right now. We ask that your holy anointing, God. I pray that the Holy Ghost would quick our minds with your spirit, Lord God. That you would touch us, Lord God. Strengthen our minds, Lord God. We want to hear and understand. We want to apply this word to our heart, Lord God. Strengthen each and every soul, Lord God. Touch our teachers, Lord God, I pray. To anoint the students, Lord God, I pray. We don't want this time to pass, Lord God, without knowledge being implanted, Lord God. This is the way that we overcome the enemy. It is through your word. Strengthen in our spirit, Lord God. I pray that you grant it, Lord God. I know that we are made overcomers, Lord God, through you. So I pray that you touch us today and we will thank you for it. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen. And before you're seated, let's, I'm gonna just start one place. If you wanna read on the screen or in your Bible, I'm gonna just start in the book of Revelation. From whence I'm gonna take my title. My title will be just Alpha, the Alpha and Omega. I'm gonna just read Revelation 1 and 8. You probably can quote it. If you read in Revelation much or you probably heard it enough to quote it. But anyway, the Bible says, 
I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. It's truly to me where the Lord took and showed his kindness to us when he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Now, truly, we've been around church long enough that we know what that means. But since the New Testament was written in Greek, I believe literally what he was saying to us as a New Testament church, no matter where you find yourself at, in this original language that this Bible was written in and given to us, in this Greek, the first letter and the last letter, Alpha and Omega, no matter, you cannot come up with a combination that God will not find you in. There's no situation that's going to face us that he can't help us in. There's no struggle we're going to find ourselves in that he hadn't been. He is going to be there. We know that he is the Alpha and the Omega. And I promise you, if there's one concept that I love, it is the concept of time. It truly intrigues me. It always have. And where he says, which is, which was, and which is to come. Now, when he says that, I promise you, he has my attention. Because I'm not serving a God that just says, I'm here for you now. He says, I seen you not when you was born. Before you was born, I knew you. And when you end, I will know you. And where your spirit will reside, I still would know you. So he has my attention. So I want to know of God. And it's just one thing that is really, there is no span of time that I will find myself that God will not see me in. And the only way I know to put it is in real time as of right now. I can go back and say, back five years ago, this happened to me. God said, no, I'm looking at it right now. Or in the future, God would say, in 10 years, this is gonna happen to you. But God is seeing it as it happens right now. November the 13th, 2016. That is what God can do. He sees it in real time. There is no time is only given to us. It's only relative to us. God says, which, which was, which is, which is to come. There is no, there is no uh, dicing. We are the ones that dice time. God does not. So he says, I am the Alpha and Omega, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. Now, the Almighty is not really a New Testament word. In fact, it's only used from Matthew to Jude. It's only used one time. The Holy Ghost anointed Paul. He used it in Corinthians one time. The other nine times it's used it's used in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Really, the Almighty is an Old Testament word. It is used 48 times in the Old Testament of Jehovah saying, I am the Almighty. He was saying, I am the Almighty. So when we read in Revelation where God used it nine times, it is what? The Spirit gave the revelation unto John. So I believe God is just literally saying, I am that I am. It really was me. So when he looked at the Jews and said, and you shall know the truth, and I believe what that truth was, you didn't crucify just a God. You crucified Jehovah. 
So when he is saying, and you shall know the truth, so whatever tradition you have held on, whatever you call doctrine you have held on, when you realize just who you crucified, whatever you have held on, this truth will make you free. It'll cut any tie, it'll cross any line, every bit of tradition, whatever you have, whatever you thought was real, God said, when you would know the truth that you realize that I am the Almighty, it'll cross every line. Whatever you think, if you want to know who God is and your family has believed this for hundreds of years, God said, this truth, this truth would make you free. So he is the Alpha and the Omega. That, I believe, pure and simple, was done out of kindness to the church, telling us we will find ourselves in no situation that God cannot help us. Now, go with me, if you will, um, to Romans. This is, mm, it's, it's not a pretty picture. Romans, the first chapter, I'm just going to read two verses, 20 and 21. Romans, first chapter, If follow me on the screen if you want to. This is really speaking of the guilt of mankind. This is what the Bible said in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly, clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Now, when you read that from 17 all the way, all the way to 32, it's not pretty at all. But Romans was written to Christians. So when he says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. To the world, this is an oxymoron. The invisible is clearly seen. They are saying, this cannot be. You can't see the invisible, but God is saying you can see the invisible. And not only can you see it, these people that I'm writing to have seen it. They have seen what I am speaking of. And he says it is this clearly seen. One time in the Bible, it is speaking this are clearly seen. That term right there where it says, uh, for the creation of the world are clearly seen. That phrase, are clearly seen, is used one time in the Bible. To behold fully, clearly see, is what it was talking about. One time, God is saying, my people, those Christians at Rome, have seen this that I'm referring to, the, what, that, what I'm uh, referring to. Now, go with me, uh, look at the same verse, and it says, to the things that are seen, being understood by the things that are made. Now, that phrase there, things that are made, that phrase is only used two times, well, actually three. But the two times, the other time is basically referring to the same thing. That's why I said two. But the word is, I'll spell it. It's P-O-I-E-M-A in the Greek. Things that are made. That's what he said. If you want to get right down to it, if you want to see the invisible of his eternal power and Godhead, God has said all you had to do was just look around. 
because it is manifested and they have seen it. Now, and it's being understood by what we can physically see. God said, it's there, my eternal power. It is literally there. We can see it. Just look at the precision of life. I remember when we went, and I'm pretty sure I've told you all this, when we went to Kennedy Space Center years ago with um, Britton Braxton, one of the things that I truly of all the things that we've seen, I mean, the whole trip, you know, you, you say you're, you're going for the children, but I loved it because it was dealing with space and time, so I loved it too. But one of the things that I really enjoyed, it's um, where you stand. You know, I've been told they have these things in malls, sort of like a directional thing. Come on now, you're falling asleep on me. Like when you're standing in a mall and it says you are here. Okay. But this was of a galaxy. And it was probably about this wide and about, I'd say, that tall. And it had a little dot and it says you are here. But it was of galaxies. And I thought, you know, I wasn't looking at that and saying, wow, and walk off. I was just looking at it, just trying to soak it in and say, my goodness. Just look. This is what we can behold. I'm not, I'm not going to get hung up on, look, what all can't we behold? Just look at what we can actually see. And it is absolute precision. God said, you think you know time? I will give you time. Everything has got to be precise or none of this. You think of all the rotations, all the all the gravity in itself, everything spinning is just literally, precision is just not the right word. It's just one little flaw and we're gone. And God says, my eternal power is what keeps this all in check. And it just says, you are here. And it was so vast. And I stood there for the longest just looking at that, my goodness. And I don't know of no other reason that God made it for other than man. The Bible offers no other reason why it is there other than us. But there, the thing that I ponder, I'll tell you this, without trying to reveal too much of myself, the thing that I ponder is did it need to be that big just to inhabit us? I don't really know. Only God knows that question. But what I'm saying is look how big and look how precise it has to be for everything to work. So, and, and I will say this, and one thing I will just throw this disclaimer out. Probably, I don't know, it's probably been over 30 years ago, I was privileged the the pastor I'm speaking of is not from around here so I'll clear that up but I was privileged to be with a pastor to spend some time with and it was a theory of his and the theory was this he was very knowledgeable in photography so he used to tell me that he believed that since God there is no like I just tried to explain there is no here and here and here in time God sees everything as it was present 
So he believed, just as a theory, that when we get to heaven, that if we want to see, and I'll just use this as an example, the Red Sea crossing, then he believes God will let us behold it in real time. Since there is no, like, oh man, that happened so many thousands of years ago, it's gone, it's vanished in time. It is not with God. So he believes that if we wanted to behold that, God would allow us to see that. That's just a theory, and that's his. But what I'm telling you, God is not limited by space or time. So I'm not saying he will or he won't. I'm just telling you what a pastor, very knowledgeable in this subject, says. So I don't know. I don't know. But by the things that are made. So he says, for the invisible is clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. His Godhead is literally speaking of his divinity. That word Godhead is only used one time in the scripture, and it means here divinity. It's used one time. So it's talking about his divinity, things that are made. Now, if you will, while I'm there, Turn with me or just read on the screen if you want to. I'm going to Ephesians, and I'm going to read 2.10. And it says, that first phrase here in Ephesians 2.10, for we, look at that first phrase, for we are his workmanship. And I'm just going to stop right there. But I want you, what I want you to realize is God said, the people that has left me, they are without excuse. In other words, they do not. When they are judged, they will not have a defense. They have clearly seen this being understood by my power and my divinity. Now, the only other time that God allowed that word being being understood by the things that are made, the only other time God allowed that word to be joined was for we are his workmanship. So God has two masterpieces. That signboard I stopped and looked at forever. And here is where I'd give anything if I had so many mirrors to pass out. And I would hand you a mirror and I would say, look into that mirror and see the other masterpiece that God made. For that word right there, workmanship, is the exact same word it's used two times in scripture and that's the other time it used for we are his workmanship he created all of this and he created you that is the same it is speaking of the the majestic nature of God we have this God said they know that God allowed them to do that he allowed them to do that he just said literally At the creation of man, he breathed in the nostrils the breath of life. And man, he was made in his image. We know this. God knew the end from the beginning. So he says that they, when they knew God, they glorified him not. Basically, they would not worship him and they was not thankful. Neither were they thankful. They became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts was darkened. That is why... That is why, and I'll just say this and go. Now, 
They became vain in their imaginations. That is why pastors, as Brother Boyd and others, has preached and preached their literal hearts out, telling us as Christians that we must guard our mind. It's so important, so important what we let in our mind and our eyes of what we see because don't look at this, look at 21 as it's speaking to people out there. It's not. He is speaking to Christians. They wouldn't worship me and they was not thankful. So this is the end result that happened. So his eternal power and Godhead, God said they will not have an excuse when they knew God. Literally, it's this. You will not come into this truth. There is no going away. There, I promise you, there is no going back. I'm telling you, there is not. There is no leaving this. You can leave God, sin all you want. God will hold you accountable. There is no going back. No going back. I'm telling you, that is the truth. Now, what I want you to do, if you will, turn with me to Ephesians. No, excuse me. First uh, Peter. I want to go to First Peter 3 and 20. Okay. Okay, I said first Peter three, but I want to start it actually at eighteen. First Peter chapter three, and I'll start reading at verse eighteen. And I'll read through twenty two. First Peter three eighteen. For Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but also quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. When our Lord came, wrote himself in flesh, and what I think as Christians, what we should always remember is that he died in that flesh. And as people... We live, and some struggle worse than others. But the Bible says that we are allotted in this life to die. And so, but I think we can hold that as a consolation of hope because we serve a God that knows what it's like to die in this flesh. So the Bible says that he suffered the just for the unjust, meaning us, so he knows what it's like to die. Now, we know that the spirit didn't die, but the flesh did. So he knows what it's like when we're facing the end of the road or prematurely die. God knows what it's like. And now, verse 19, by which he went also, 
by which also he went and preached unto the uh, spirits in prison. Now, one thing I will say, if you do any reading on that verse, people are all over the map with this. Boy, that's what I say. Be very careful on who you read after. But, and I'll just, I say that in a joking manner, but I'm very serious on that. Now, I'll just tell you what I think it means, and then I will go, I will not mess with that anymore. There's one verse I want to read, and you can either follow on the screen, or in Jude, uh, it's only chapter, first chapter, verse 6. Listen to what it says here. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Now, he said he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now, I will just tell you, me personally, do I believe that the Lord, when, his, when he died, obviously his flesh died, the spirit Jehovah in him did not die? Do I believe he went and preached to people? No, I don't believe that. I believe what the Bible says, he went and preached to demon spirits. I believe it was, as Jude records and says, that it was demons that God put that revolted with Lucifer that was put in this and in the Bible. Now, I will go back to Jude just a second and I will just show this one thing to you and if they would put Jude back up for me in verse 6 where he says that he has reserved an everlasting chains. Now, while I go where I was reading in Romans where it says his eternal power, eternal is used with the same word here, that word right there, everlasting, which he has reserved an everlasting chains. Eternal and everlasting are the same word, meaning how long have they been there? I don't know, but they have been there a long time. So I'm, that's all I'm wanting to say is ever how long they've been there, they have been there a long time, and it is eternal. In other words, God has the authority over them being there. So that's what I believe. That's me. That's what I believe, and... Some even, well, I'll just leave it alone. Now, 320. By sometimes were disobedient, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, was saved by water. Now, Hebrews 11 and 7, as Brother Boyd just preached recently, tells us that just the preparing of the ark it's what condemned the world. You read in Hebrews 11 and 7, it says that. Noah, God told him, you build the ark, gave him the, the dimensions. Just in Noah acting on the word of God is what condemned the world. That's, that ain't me. That's the Bible. This is what condemned the world, Noah doing this. Noah literally took God at his word. So he, he did this. So 
Now, let's go, if you want to, if not, just read on the screen. I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning. So he says in Genesis 6 and 17, this is what the Lord says. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein, listen, is the breath of life from under heaven and everything that is in the earth shall die. Now, I think that has to be taken literally. God said everything that has the breath of life will be destroyed. Now, that's to me, that's including Noah and his family. But, Follow the rest of the verse. And everything that is in the earth, that is the distinction. Noah believed God. God said, you build an ark, and when I tell you to, you get in the ark. Noah wasn't in the earth. They can call us crazy if they want to. We take God at his word. We take his name. We receive his spirit. We do that according to his word. Because God said everything that is in the earth is going to perish. So Noah built the ark. He got in the ark because everything that is in the earth died. But Noah wasn't in the earth. He was in the ark. That's what saved his life. He took God at his word. If he built the ark and was standing on the outside of the ark, that's just like saying, you know, well, I've been baptized, but I'm okay. You take the rest. I'm not going to take the rest. Noah could have said, here's the ark. God, I did it just like you said, but it sure looks pretty from the outside. That's okay. You die with the rest of them because I have commanded you to get inside of the ark. That is what saved his life. He fulfilled all of the command that God gave to him. That's what saved his life. Now, in 6.8, in, um, in the Bible tells us we quoted thousands of times, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, and I think what I'm fixing to share to you is a theory of mine, but I think that grace is found in Genesis 6 and 3. And this is what it says. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and 20 years. Now, we have heard that so much. But the Bible says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God said, my spirit is not always going to rule in man. It's not going to always strive with man. So he just says, for that, and this is where I believe the grace comes in, for that he also is flesh. I believe for it to get so bad, the Bible even speaks of, of the demonic activity. We read, I believe the angels that God preached to and where I just read out of Jude came from this. I believe they was present on the earth. God took them, put them in chains and got demonic activity, I believe, was so gross in the earth. That's why the Bible says every imagination of man was only evil continually. That's why preachers tell us, careful what you allow to go in your mind. Because if it stays, it will only will grow. And we act like they don't know what they're talking about. 
we need to take this seriously. And it says that for that he also is flesh. Now, I believe God was saying, you know what? The time clock has been punched. And I believe from that, yet his day shall be 120 years. Me personally, I think God, who is not limited by time, knew it would take 120 years for Noah to build the ark. That was a time limit. I believe once this was said, it was pushed. Man had 120 years. We read of no one, like Brother Boyd said, no one being saved. So I think that is not referring to the people. That is referring to Noah. And God says, Noah, you are also flesh. I believe in you. You are subject to all the evil that is there, so therefore you also are flesh, but you are in the middle of this cesspool, so you won't stay one day longer than you have to. It will take you 120 years to build this ark, and then, then, water is either going to save you or destroy you. That is what's going to happen. That's what I believe. That is the grace that I believe is my theory is what happened. So he says, for he also is flesh and his days shall be 120 years. That is what God said. He put him there. He have 120 years because literally of the corruption was so evil on the earth. God said, don't worry. Don't worry. I will take care of you. And God did. And Noah actually believed him. Noah actually believed him. Now, in the book of Matthew, when the disciples went to the Lord, they asked the Lord major, major questions. So he said in Matthew 24, I will read 36 and 37. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. But listen, but as the days of Noah were, so also shall, uh, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, but of the day and hour knoweth, but of the day and hour knoweth no man. Now here's Jesus standing in the flesh, talking to his disciples, or talking to the crowd. Maybe, I'm sure his disciples was there, but he's talking to a crowd. And he's telling them, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. What I believe that means to apostolic saints is God is telling them, do not believe nobody in their flesh. Take no man's word on this. God is telling them as far as in the flesh. God is saying only the Spirit knows this. God knows the date but he reverted himself back to his humanity and he's telling the church, listen, do not believe any man when it comes to this. If Brother Boyd got up and said, 2020, God's coming, then you stand and you say, I don't know what's happened to him. I'm serious. And I know, you know, I love him more than anybody and he knows that, but you get the point. God said, don't believe no man. So, and, but he says, but as the days of Noah were, so also uh, shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, he said in 44, 
in, in, in 2444. Therefore be ye also ready for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. So he's telling them, therefore be ye also ready. God is saying, don't consume yourself trying to figure out when I am coming. The trick to this, or there's no trick, is in the first phrase, be ye therefore also ready. Uh, right ahead of this, he's talking about a thief. We understand that for sure. So what God is telling us, you must prepare. You prepare your home. You get whatever weapon you think. Now, this is speaking in natural terms. You get whatever weapon you need to defend yourself, and you get ready. Now, in spiritual terms, the people that says you do not need to be baptized, you don't need the Holy Ghost, they are, they are just forfeiting weapons that they need to defeat the enemy. And God is saying you cannot be consumed of when I am coming. But I want to say this, that just as it was in the days of Noah, God gave them a start and an end. It is my theory that when he said as it was in the days of Noah, I believe there is a start date to this end. It is me. You do not have to agree with me. But God told them 120 years now, but one thing he told us, pure and simple, plain, do not put an end to this. But I believe in 1948, when all the Jews, for almost 2,000 years, there was no Israel. God said, I will bring my people back. In 1948, they established Israel again. So I believe, me, in 1948, God hit the time clock. Whatever end it is, it is. I do not know that. But God is saying, be ye therefore also ready. You prepare yourself. I will take care of the church. You prepare yourself, I think is what he was saying, as it was in the days of Noah. I did set a limit, but God is telling us, do not be consumed of trying to figure out that's why so many people gets lost in Revelation. They want to figure a time. Is it, is it beginning, middle, or end, or, or end? But God is saying, no, you have lost the point. The point is to establish yourself and establish yourself as strong as you can because the thief, speaking of Satan, he is coming. And you have got to prepare yourself with every weapon there is available to you. Because he is going to come in and he will take no pity on you or your family or those that you love. And God said, therefore, be ye also ready. And he has given us the tools to fight with and to equip ourselves with. Now, in the book of Revelation, the 12th chapter, this is taken out of tribulation, but we can gain from this verse. But this verse, 12 and 11, is from the middle of Revelation of tribulation, I mean. But in 12, 11, we have heard it a lot of times. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Now, they overcame him by, if you would just leave that there, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. We understand what that means. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. That is why. When we are baptized, we take on the name of Jesus Christ. It is called over us. You read everywhere you want to. God said there's no other name 
given among men whereby we must be saved. We believe that. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but listen, we are that. I believe that it is a twofold manner. One part, I believe the blood is applied when you take his name on. I believe you are married to him. You take his name. You become part of that bride. You are doing this. The blood is applied. Ephesians tells us that we are sealed with the spirit when we receive the Holy Ghost. So I believe, go all the way back. Go all the way back to the first Passover. How did they protect themselves? Moses told them through the anointing of God, you seal yourself. You seal the door, the opening with the blood of the lamb. That will be the seal. That will be the seal. That's gonna make the difference whether you live or whether you die. That was pure and simple. There's no other way to look at it. That's gonna give you life or that's gonna give you death. But they sealed it. They took by the blood of the lamb. That's literally in the, here in the middle of the worst time and ever will be in recorded history. History. Now, I believe, me personally, I don't want to start nothing, but I'm telling you, I do not believe the church will be here. Maybe I shouldn't have said that, but that's me. That's me. But I'm telling you, this is 12 and 11. This is the worst time you think Genesis 4 that we just read is bad? God himself said, it's the worst time that ever will be and it never will be repeated again. That is what God said. Now, this is the way they overcame him. Him is Satan and every one of his regime. God said they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. I'm telling you, there's only one way I see this as only one way that this can be accomplished is their testimony had to match this testimony. There's no other way that this can happen. They received, took, they were sealed with the blood of the lamb and what they said matched what God said. Therefore, the enemy could not overcome them. By the word of their testimony is what the Bible says is how they overcame him. Now, and it, the last phrase of that, and it says, and they loved not their lives unto the death. What that means is they believed what they said and they was willing to seal it with their own blood. God said, if this is how you want it, you can have it. You can be sealed with the blood of the lamb. You speak this truth and they love this truth so much as I'll seal it with my own blood. You can't scare me with death because death does not frighten me. God has made me an overcomer and I am made an overcomer through this word. And this is what God gave to them. And he sealed this truth in them. God did that. He gave them, he gave them. Now I'm, I'm going back to, to 1 Peter where I, where I was, First Peter 3 and 20. He says that in verse um, 22, or 21, excuse me, the light figure whereunto even baptism does now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, what Apostle Peter does is insert his thought in there, but just listen to what it's, just listen how it sounds without his thought. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth now save us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, 
And he says, but his insert says, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. In other words, when we're baptized, we're, <laughs> this is humorous, we're not coming to take a bath. We're not just coming to wash this off. But he said it is a good conscience towards God. So that is why, that is why these people in tribulation, their mind, as we would say it, is made up. And son, you think death is going to bother me? I seal this with my own blood. This truth is real. And this truth is worth. So he tells them to do this. So he says, now, that is why we believe so much in taking the Bible literally at what it says. Taking his word. Believing it. Now, 22. Bible says, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God Listen, the Bible interprets itself. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Now, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. We know literally when the Bible speaks of this is something that is really the right hand of God is something that is basically from the Old Testament. But I don't want to, please don't take me cruel in what I'm fixing to say because I think you know me and that is not my intent. But if understanding their analogy of what they believed and how they believed it, if you took literally when the Bible says the right hand of God, in other words, if you believed that I'm God and Jesus was physically standing on my right hand, think with me, that is a physical impossibility of what the Bible says, not what we say, what the Bible says. When you go back in the Old Testament, there's so many scriptures that refer to the right side, the right arm, the right hand, the right being a place of authority, a place of power, prestige. So the Bible talks about here where I just read, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. Now, a scripture that I love so much is one where God anointed Samuel and he says, he sort of rebukes him a little bit, Samuel being so good. He tells him, look, quit your mourning for Saul. He's done. Fill your horn of oil and you go to Jesse's house because it is of his sons that I have provided for me a king. Provided for me a king. What I take that to mean is this right arm is going to be revealed. I have chosen for me a bloodline and the right hand of God is going to be revealed. And I look at it this way or look at it this way with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten flesh. So I think that when God and look at it like this. When Stephen says, when they was fixing to stone Stephen, when he got too close to him, 
But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. This is the way the Jews would have described it when they wanted to describe someone in power or majesty or in a place of authority. So literally, as we would look at it, when God has gone in, that's why I said angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. That is why I believe so many times in the revelation of Jesus Christ, he used the word almighty. I believe God is trying to pound into his church. I am Jehovah, and I told you all through the Old Testament that I would reveal myself, and I did. I am the Almighty. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, is all for us because that is the way we look at terms. The Almighty is who he has always been. Now, he's telling us, and he tells us, as I read in Romans, he says, when they had the chance, they wouldn't glorify me, they wasn't thankful, but what was truly amazing to me, the two places, the two places, that he allowed this word to be used. He said, just look around. Look around that everything is made and how precision it is. Then go look in the mirror. That's the only two times I'm going to use it. God allowed it to be used two times. So when you get home, look in the mirror close, then go look outside. Because that's the only two times that God allowed it to be used. He linked it to nature and he linked it to you. And that's Bible. God bless you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.